Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. We're talking again. Our bodies were made. I'm your host, Paul Mitzi. I'm Brendan Levi. And we are the Swapcast Podcast. Every week we watch an entry in the body swap movie genre and break it down for you. Lucy is on holidays this week, but we do have a special treat in store for our listeners. Because this week we are joined by the multi-talented director, writer, actress, comedian, and her work in film sound can be heard in productions like Westworld, Daredevil, Broad City, Saturday Night Live, Get Out, and Euphoria. She's the creative force behind the body swap film Inside You, all the way from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the show, Heather Fink. Hi, thank you so much. It's an honor to be your guest, and it's so specifically up my alley, like you said. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Thanks for making the time to being on our show. Um, You're our very first interview, so be kind. So uh, first off, how are you going at the moment? The US seems like a pretty crazy place to be. It really is a crazy place to be. I'm in Los Angeles, and LA is peaking with their coronavirus cases. I actually am in a group text thread with a fellow Australian friend um, and another friend of mine from New Jersey, and they nicknamed one of the group texts, like, "We'd ra- let's move to New Zealand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's hitting here stronger, and I'm very much staying in um, in my quarantine. And we also have our other pandemic of racial injustice going on at the same time with the Black Lives Matter movement. My neighborhood of Atwater Village is quieter than other neighborhoods in Los Angeles. So it's not exactly at my door, but the conversations and the weight of these massive changes in our world are definitely, it's something we're thinking about constantly. So yeah, we're in the middle of it. It's yeah, yeah. It's unique. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine like we're all the way across the other side of the world and it feels like it's happening on our doorstep. So yeah, I can just imagine what it'd be like over there. Yeah. So what brought you to a career in filmmaking uh, and specifically in sound mixing and then to uh, being a writer, director of your own film? Well, it is in- instinctively in line with who I am. When I was like in third grade, I asked my teacher to do a stand-up comedy show. Um, and my career as a filmmaker <laughs> is more particularly in line with my, uh, my soul's link to wanting to do comedy. So all the films that right. I make are comedy. Um, mm-hmm. it's just something that's, always been there and been part of who I am. When I was in high school, I would make videos with my neighbor and friend's video camera. We make little variety hours. And then when I was in college, not for what I'm doing now, I was majoring in philosophy and going to college in Washington, D.C. And I was very political. I was like a Senate intern. Um, 
I did start my own all-female comedy group, and my boyfriend went to another school that had an editing lab, so I would sit in there and learn how to edit on Final Cut Pro, and um, I just didn't know anyone in the entertainment industry, so I didn't understand how I could have a career in that, and I had this... I've, everything I do, including my comedy films, they do have a connection to my desire to change the world uh, yeah. in one way or another. Um, and so I had this idea that I would go be a lawyer and then take my lawyer money and make movies, which um, isn't how the world works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so after my first year of – I mean, this is a longer story, but after my first year of law school, I didn't ha- have a good time with it. I didn't know anybody else who was there because they wanted to fight for justice. They were all there because their parents were lawyers. And it was also the same year that W was reelected, which really made me not want to be involved in politics or have faith in politics anymore. So I said, I'm going to use my other passion, which is in the entertainment industry with arts and comedy to try to get that message out there. So, um, you know, the top note of my political leanings or my purpose is feminism. And so in my first feature film, the top, the subject matter matter does deal with gender um, and certain aspects of the feminist conversation. Um, But that's, yeah, that's always been my passion. And stop me if I'm just going on. um, I don't know. I'm finding it really interesting because like your, your career path to, from like sound, but I saw that you'd had written a lot of like, like uh, short films and stuff as well. So, I felt like there was sort of a, obviously a drive to do more than just sound, I guess. Yeah. Well, so the sound thing for me as a day job, my passion isn't there. It's just something that I know about. So when I was choosing a day job for the characters in Inside You, where the two characters work at a sound equipment rental house, it was just something that seemed like just a real place, a world that I knew about. Um, so it was like detailed. It wasn't just like a generic place for them to work, but it's also something I knew something about or was familiar with. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Well, the cliche, like an advertising agency that you don't know anything about, but. <laughs> right. Exactly. You could feel that when you watch the film. Cause like there was like a lot of jargon news that you know, that you would have known when you wrote the script like you could feel that it was something that the characters actually knew something about yeah exactly like they say write what you know and you can write in a more intense like it's always frustrating when you see something you're like well it's not really like that those things aren't really like that has anybody who wrote this like if you see like a lawyer show and the practice of law is nothing like that it's always really annoying you know yeah just trying to write in a way and for things that i don't know about i usually do try to research yeah so so the sound thing is a day job it's a way to provide for myself uh and keep myself on set so i'm spying on other directors all the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um and you've had like an amazing uh like run of like pretty iconic shows and productions yeah, yeah. that you've been part of like uh, do you have connections that like got you into you know HBO or Netflix or any of these big companies or yeah so that's an interesting question the reason why I work on such big stuff is because I'm union as a sound person and yeah. so um the union all union shows tend to be big um, I was a non-union sound person at first when I was in film school. Um, I did, I mean, a lot of the world's happenings are connected to my life. Like the 2008 economic crash happened. And before that, I had day jobs in digital media and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, this is a total side note, but I did once work as like the head of PR for a gay porn company. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. 
Those were all day jobs, but there were no more day jobs uh, out there in 2008. And I'd always fantasized about going to film school, but I couldn't financially justify it. Um, and I just applied to NYU just to see if I could get in because it's an iconic place. And I did. Um, and it was just while I was there, I was like, how can I keep on set? How can I still provide for myself? And so around 2010, so that's 10 years ago, I started doing sound and I became a non-union sound mixer really quickly because there's such a demand, like it's the one job on set that no matter what the budget is, they'll still need to pay you. Um, and <laughs> they, <laughs> so there's that. And then they still really need you. So I thought this is a way that I can do that. And then I had a friend, sound mixer, Allison Jackson, who's amazing. Uh, she got into the union. She's like, Heather, it could take a really long time. You should start applying. Our benefits, our pay is going to be better. So once I got in and then word of mouth spreads around, it's just like there's a show coming up and you have this. So a sound team I work with is a three-person team and the sound mixer will hire me as a boom operator or sound utility. Um, And so they have these people that like that we like working together. Like yeah. uh, in New York, I, and then I moved to LA and I was doing it. And so it's just this sound mixer got this show. So that's kind of how it works. A UPM, if this is interesting, a unit production <laughs> manager will hire off the crew. And so this UPM in New York kept hiring our same crew. So the shows we did were pretty random. They weren't necessarily attached to like you pick or they pick you. It's just these are crews that want to work with you um, or these are people. It, it's really a lot more the people who are like, I like working with you. I want to hire you. And that gets you um, back again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how that works. So what was the reason that you were attracted to making your first film, a body swapping movie? I know you mentioned that you wanted to talk about gender. Was there anything wider than that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Inside You is actually the third feature film that I wrote. Um, The first, I was really trying to make my first feature film at this point. I had finished NYU and I wanted to make it for my thesis and use the school's equipment and everything like that and make a really, um, well, I didn't necessarily want to make an ultra low budget first feature. I did try to properly finance and attach producers and agents and all that stuff and it didn't happen. The very first feature that I wrote was a sci-fi comedy about a digital apocalypse. And then actually, no, the first feature I wrote was about a heartbreak and a person, how one gets over something. Um, and so it focused on that. And that one I thought was a hard sell because it was about something kind of negative and some, something like getting over depression is a hard sell for mm, a, yeah. a movie topic. <laughs> and, um, and I think we've seen a lot of stuff about relationships from female filmmakers. Um, and granted, this is about a relationship, but it's a body swap. It's kind of different. Um, yeah, yeah. And so then the second one was about digital apocalypse, but it was a much more expensive script and I wasn't getting funding. And I could have, sometimes it takes years to finance a movie and I could have waited years, but I just was like, I need to write a cheaper script. So what of yeah. my ideas that I care about are something that I can just make? And I realized that the body swap movie is primarily about the performances of two people. Um, and then specifically the topics I decided to explore in the script. Well, I wanted to show, um, a lot of exi- there's a couple gender body swap movies, but they're written by men and they don't get what it's like to be a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, I wanted to cover my personal fears of marriage as a topic in the movie. So those yeah. were the, yeah, because that's just something that was on 
my mind. Like it definitely so. shows. Like uh, when when we watch this, Paul's the one who's like the professional and does all the work and like you know looks up like details and that. I just come in and I watch the film. <laughs> and, but at the end of it, I was like, this was definitely written by a woman because there was a lot of stuff that I, I don't know if you've seen how many we've watched so far, but we've watched like over forty uh, swap films so far, and it was definitely something that you could pick up uh, just thinking in regards to the other films we'd, we had seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's so many that we've watched that we come out and go, wow, that director or that writer downright hates women. Like the way <laughs> yeah. that women are represented in a lot of these films, like just like shrews and just either you're a shrew or you're a slut or like, you know, it's always – awful and so it's so refreshing um we can count on one hand how many films that we've watched for the podcast that actually treat their women with respect i'm i'm thankful that you felt that way i'm so glad um i actually saw um an australian body or like boyfriend girlfriend switching movie which was the closest it was like the only one i could find dating that was really like a couple. Y- yeah I we've think. done that one yeah dating yeah. the enemy with guy Pierce. And it, yeah that's right and it was so like you know, like, oh, it's my period. You know, it's really. <laughs> it was, I was like, okay, there's a need for my movie. But there's movies like Switch from Alan Barkin. You know, did yeah. you see that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the uh, HBO one, isn't it? No, no. Uh, that's the one where she dies. Uh, he dies in the hot tub. The two women kill him. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. the misogynist yeah. now has to be in yeah. a woman's body, which I actually really, that resonated me when it, with with me when I was younger. Um, but of course, you know, any, but well, the other thing I do want to say though, is I love that you are making a podcast about body swap movies. Cause there is also another reason why I wanted to make this movie, which is that I, um, I'm like a child of the eighties and these kinds of movies really spoke to me because there was a certain magic and fun and playfulness to them. And so yeah. it's just, and, and also it was a very easy sell. I could just explain to people, it's a couple that switches bodies and boom, we get what that is. That's an easy sell, a movie like yeah. that. So um, didn't mean to pivot totally, but um. uh, pivot to the subject of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's, perfect. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> what research? So when you decided I'm doing a body swap film, did you decide I'm just going to watch as many body swap films as I can? Or Yes, I did. I did watch as many body swap films as I can. And also because it's frustrating for me to watch movies about switching bodies with women and clearly there's no female input, I actually... Mm-hmm asked a bunch of men their thoughts on what they would want to do if they switch bodies with a woman. So I asked the male opinion too, uh, yeah. to, f- to find out, uh, to make it more authentic. So, yeah, I heard in another interview, you, you asked Bevers from Broad City, what, what he would do. That's true. Uh, <laughs> John Gemberling, he's a really kind person. He gave me very thoughtful answers. Um, I know him from comedy, uh, great, per- great human being, very funny. But yeah, he gave me some advice that actually got cut on the day. Like he talked about how good it would feel to just have this tiny body and like want to run around the room and leap and just feel free in the small body. And I actually had that stuff in the script. But on that day, we lost time and we didn't shoot it. 
but I wanted to depict that. Like, uh, was there a lot of stuff that you had to cut or did it, did most of it ma- make it to, to screen? There's a lot that had to get cut. Gosh, the, one of the opening scenes in the movie, like, phew, there's this hot dog party scene and the <laughs> bottom half of the movie plays all in this white or wide shot because the location owner started flipping out and kicked us out and we just didn't get coverage for the rest of the scene and like the lighting isn't really we kind of like we're like okay this is our last take we can get the lighting wasn't even proper so it's i have to live with this poorly like lit moment i mean most of the lighting in the movie i feel great about my cinematographer matthew mendelson is a gaffer as well um and he's very talented but yeah that scene we just didn't get the coverage we needed so i had to i was stuck with the shot i was stuck with not being able to cut into it. Yeah, it was very low budget. Things went wrong. Well, we, we've we watched a lot of low budget productions for our podcast. And, you know, some of them with big name actors that you would know, like the, the Baldwins and all these people and that were made for like TV stations in the US. And this film genuinely looked a lot better than many of those films. So, like, I think you did an amazing job with the budget that you had. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think another thing we always criticize these low budget movies that we watch is um like we watched a film called The Sex Trip recently and another one called Christmas Trade with one of the Baldwins and even though they were shot in the last couple of years the set design and the costumes like everything looked like they were from 2003 like a really budget production <laughs> from 2003. But um, with your film, everything looked like time appropriate and felt real. Like, how did you achieve that on the budget that you had? Thank you. I mean, I think one thing that must have helped is we shot all in real locations versus built sets. I think that can make it feel more authentic. I mean, everything, there was a lot of thought put into it. I shot in this neighborhood of Brooklyn where I was living of Greenpoint and it a lot of the movie was really shot in that neighborhood um that's a really interesting bit of feedback though that it felt and looked authentic uh thank you I know no one said that to me before so um you know attention to detail and having background where you need them uh is key did you did you get people to like did people bring their own clothes or did you supply and choose the clothes? Yeah. I mean, with the leading characters, we had fittings and, you know, I had a wardrobe person and we thought it through what the outfits were going to be. And for background, I think we probably told people to bring, like, you know, bring these kinds of colors and bring more than one or two options. But there was very much attention to detail in character when it came to wardrobe so so when you were going back to the research you did by watching all these swap films was there anything that you watching all of them you said well i really need to hit that that or that or i really need to avoid that and that it's now i i filmed it in 2015 and i wrote it in 2014 so it's been a few years (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) I remember that Freaky Friday stood out as a really well-made studio movie. Well, I saw the Lindsay Lohan one. I actually didn't see the original. Um, I don't know if you, how you felt about it, but. Yeah, uh, we, we all love the Lindsay. It does, yeah. It does rate high on our list. (laughs) Um, though the Jodie Foster one is fantastic as well. I should Um, see that. And I'm, I'm the only one on the, podcast that enjoyed the um the recent uh musical musical remake make. 
<laughs> that came out last year. Oh, <laughs> I didn't see that. I mean, there were all those kid ones, like the father and son and... Yeah, man. vice versa. Vice versa, I grew up yeah. with those. They were so much fun. And, and there's this one with... Well, I was trying to have a little fun, too, with the convention, like the magic shop, like Miss Vismelda, the witch. I mean, that was directly sort of surreal and not grounded and not realistic and referential to like where the Mogwai was purchased in. Yeah, yeah. A, uh, antique, and- <laughs> an antique uh, sex shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it was just supposed to be goofy. And like, I think. There's this there's this high school boy girl thing where they swap. I think they go to a museum and there's like a relic. Yeah, it's you know, a boy girl t- thing. That yeah. was like the first one we did on this yeah. podcast. That, that that was our very first episode. <laughs> and that again was like filled with gender stereotype, you know. Um That one yeah. was pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> but I did try to reference that and have an awareness. Like when the characters do swap, they're like this isn't a thing that happens. This isn't yeah. real. Because I think a lot of times too easily characters accept that this is within the realm of possibility. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a criticism we always have on the show. Yeah. It's like the, your whole world would break down. Your your concept of reality would just break <laughs> down. Like I feel like I wouldn't be able to go to work that day. I would have to like deal with, you know, is there a higher power, <laughs> you know? Right, well, that, that dialogue is in there. Like, they yeah. say, like, I guess this is proof of God or, uh, and then one of them is, like, you know, she calls um, the mental health institution because she thinks she's losing it, you yeah, know? Yeah. So I thought uh, it was important. call back to the Helen Barkin one. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah, um, so I wanted to see and uh, try to make it, grounded in the character's experience or as grounded as possible so like it is like the hardest hurdle like at at the same time so like we did appreciate yours that uh they sort of like figure out okay it's the sex toy um so we can just use that again we'll we'll switch back so let's let's uh just enjoy the day let's enjoy like enjoy going out and trying out our bodies and like that that was a a good uh a good way of getting around it i thought yeah, I mean, well, that's, I thought that the, each character should have their own different, well, each character has their own perspective on marriage and each character has their own perspective on being swapped. You know, the guy is terrified of it and the woman is psyched to try all these things out. So, yeah. But I guess towards the end, it switches. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this swap too wasn't like, uh, it was physical and then in the end, it was on an emotional or, like a heart-based level with these characters understanding each other's perspectives because that's how mm. you write movies though <laughs> You're yeah to. well that's the thing like i i i think on the show that we always say that you know a good swap film has characters that learn something about themselves or their view of the world through the swap so if if the character is in the same place at the end of the film than he was at the beginning, the film has failed pretty much as a swap film. Is there anything else that you feel like sets a good swap film apart from one that misses the mark? Yeah, I think it's very much about empathy. Uh, and actually, a thing about race comes to mind. Um, both the characters are white, and I did consider actors who were not white. Um, actually, mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be in the film. I didn't intend for me to act in it. I ended up doing that to save money. But I thought about that. And then I thought that 
I don't know if I brought race into it that I would know how to write about what, it, like, say we have a black character and a white character that are switching bodies. Um, and I didn't know, like, that would be a narrative that would have to be addressed in its own way. And yeah. it would be a different movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's a whole nother level that you've got to sort of uh, consider. Sure, yeah. yeah. And so that, may, I mean, I felt, I was like, am I just, because I thought, well, this movie would work if there's two black characters or two like if they're the same race because then if they switch races then there's that whole other level that i didn't feel like i knew a lot like to i'm not yeah. so well versed in i don't know what it's like to be another race i don't yeah uh, i know what it's like to be a woman and i can talk about that um i did do the research to see what men think about but also we have so much of what men think about out there that it's easier for me to glean yeah um <laughs> but but i will say that yeah. uh in your film like the conversations amongst the men when when uh she's infiltrating the group you know what i mean mm -hmm. um the they were also very uh what's the, what's the word i'm looking for like they they weren't they weren't um stereotypical or um even like just uh condemning they were they were sort of like felt very common they didn't feel like you the, went over the, the top by being friends. like yeah, yeah, like they they weren't yeah. sitting around going, oh yeah, like women and person. <laughs> it was yeah. just very, uh, it was a lot more toned down. And whereas when we've watched other swap films, you go to the you know the women perspective, they're naked in the locker room, they're you know having pillow fights and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's always something that struck me as like you're always gonna see women in the shower room and the towel comes off and the pillow fights and stuff and it's just oh this is what you think women are um and it's annoying and it's ridiculous um so literally the movie we watched before yours the sex trip um which was a, a man turning into a woman and so he has a similar experience he has to go to the gym in his female form and he literally walks into the locker room and everybody in this locker room looks like they've just walked out of a porn set. Everyone's got giant fake boobs and they're literally all standing around grabbing each other's boobs, like well, feeling uh, yeah, up each other's boobs and then rubbing lotion on each other. And then to see your film where she goes into the locker room, someone's like, I think picking out a wedgie and then, you know, it's just like the complete opposite couldn't be any more different. Yeah. I mean, so my character in this movie, they have this fantasy of the female locker room. There's this shot where like, you know, being pulled into it, like in a dreamscape, like, oh, I'm going to yeah, go yeah. into the women's locker room. <laughs> and then in there, exactly. Then she just farts and picks a wedgie and someone burps and like, no one's, you generally do not get naked, full naked in most locker rooms or at the gym. You like usually come with your outfit on already and shower at home, but, um, but yeah, so she saw the reality of that. But I did also during the workout scene, I did give some cool butt shots just because that's truthful. Like yeah. I do take these workout classes and <laughs> women do look cool. Their butts look cool and they do silly, <laughs> crazy things. Um, hip hop aerobics <laughs> and there's like twerk aerobics and there's um, pole dancing. So the exercises themselves are actually more absurd. Hotter, hotter and, than the, yeah. uh, the locker room. <laughs> Hotter than the locker room. Yeah. So I guess I was just say, trying to show more of, Hey, this is how things really are. So I don't um, think that like hot butts and cool, sexy ladies are bad things. It's just 
uh, obviously the way that we depict these things or talk about or show these things are not true to our real lives and our real experiences. So, yeah. And I think like not having that male gaze, it makes all the difference. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, you said you weren't originally uh, meant to play the lead. I know in some in- other interviews you mentioned like that Rosaria Dawson in the conversation. Was she ever like, how close did that ever happen? Or was that just more of a a dream casting? That's so interesting. I'm curious. That's, I'm curious what you read. Yeah. uh, I did work with her on Daredevil and saw that she is one of the funniest people just in real life. Like she holds court, like in scenes where there's a ton of extras around her and she's just telling stories and she's super funny. So I'd love to see her in more comedies. Uh, I had a long list of like a hundred names that I wanted. And when you do cast and package a film, you do try to get the biggest names that you can. And Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I, I did at one point have actors that had more cachet attached to act in the film. That weren't super famous, but I can't, I'm not going to say their names now because that's as it goes down in history. Uh, I don't want to take away from how it actually went down. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. But I did originally cast these other actors who had been in more stuff and they lived in LA and I was in New York at the time and I flew them out and the woman I cast uh, had a personal meltdown that I won't comment on too much. Um, yeah. But we lost, I lost thousands of dollars and I don't have thousands of dollars to just lose, but I did lose it. Um, yeah. And when I was gearing up to reshoot, I was still trying to get names attached. Um, it's not very attractive for agents, uh, someone's first feature, let alone that it's a sex comedy where the actor would do weird stuff and there's nudity. So it's a hard thing to attach cast to. Yeah. Um, and I definitely, I mean, this industry doesn't take women as seriously and the Me Too movement hadn't happened yet. Maybe if I was trying to cast it now, I'd have an easier time. But since then, I've written two more feature films and I've tried to attach actors without luck and I'm not giving up and I'm about to direct my next feature film, which is not a film that I wrote. I got hired to direct it. Uh, so, you know, I have a career and everything, but um, it is hard to attach actors. And that is the game. Like if I had bigger named actors, more money could be it could come in because that's just how the industry works. Um, but at the end of the day, I said, it's not happening. I'm not getting these actors. I just want to shoot my movie and just get her done and move on with my life and my career. And so... Um, let me cast a lesser known but talented local actor for the male um, and let me just put myself in it because I'm cheap and I'm easy and I get what the character is. I'm easy in the way that I'll be available for reshoots or just what I'll do whatever gross stuff is in the script. I never wanted on camera to pretend to spit out jizz, but you know, <laughs> that's so, what I wrote and that's what I was going to go and do. So, 
<laughs> so when you decided I'm going to be in this film now, uh, what kind of preparation did you start doing? Did you hang out um, with Marshall and like study each other's mannerisms and try to? We did. That? Yes, we did all that. We spent all this time like, okay, so how do you walk? How do you hold a glass of water? How do you? How's your posture? We took the time to do all that stuff, and I even like tried to get in shape to be more of a leading lady for myself. And we re- we had lots of rehearsals and everything. I will say that once we were on the day and on set, there was just so much going on that it was hard to remember those nuanced details to imitate each other in that way. Yeah. So I think some of the preparation that we put in, maybe it was there on a subconscious level, but a lot of it just went away because it was such a demanding shoot. It was really demanding. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I can imagine yeah. having to direct and act would be such a challenge, especially on your first feature. Yeah, it was. And I didn't really want to do it. Um, I was inspired by an interview that I had read with Mark Duplass or both, maybe both the Duplass. No, it was Mark specifically on just getting it done. However, just getting it done, get your first, cause he did puppy chair and his first feature was even cheaper than mine. And I just thought, yeah, I just, whatever it takes. Like, I know that I don't want to act and direct and that's not ideal, but screw it. It's not going to be ideal. Get her done. So <laughs> yeah, it wasn't ideal. So once you got the film out there, what was it like seeing like the reviews and the reaction mm. to the film? Was that a confronting wow. experience or is that a fun experience? Uh, I couldn't get a lot of people to review the movie because it didn't get into major festivals. It got into some smaller festivals, um, but it didn't get theatrical play. So people don't, are reluctant to review it. I've gotten very few reviews and the reviews generally were good. Um, but the one review that got the most traction was a very sexist review. I went on a different podcast to talk about that review, but the guy said this has been done before about the movie and it like literally had not been done before a body swap movie on gender by a woman had has not been done at the time not been done before uh so that was really frustrating like he compared what i did to an episode of buffy which is like about vampires and an obscure (laughs) tv episode from 10 years ago that wasn't written by a woman and i thought that it was like saying that it this had been done before because of this episode of Buffy he saw. Um yeah. and there were other things about the review that were very sexist and that was very frustrating. So there's that and I felt a little shortchanged there. I, the the release a lot of making the movie broke my heart and there wasn't the greatest luck there. Um I didn't have name actors and I didn't get I thought it was like a perfect movie for South by Southwest for example and it didn't get in. Um yeah. a lot of film festivals are more and more name based like name actor based than ever. Uh, they're not as independent. It's like studio, small studios or like the, you know, like Fox, Fox Searchlight is like the indie branch of Fox. Like yeah. a lot of these kinds of places have like pre-sales in advance of these festivals. So they're not very independent at the end of the day. But either yeah. way, you know, I didn't get in. That's on me. Maybe it just speaks to the merit of the film. Whatever it is, it was frustrating. And then finally, I had the film up on all the different platforms, iTunes, Xbox, Amazon Prime and all this stuff. Um, and then the distributor that I used went bankrupt. And so then I had a whole problem there. Uh. <laughs> and then it was on Prime and then it was taken down from Prime. And then, um, the pandemic happened. And actually, so, so I do get people who saw interviews about the movie or heard about it were writing me and they were like, why can't it play in this country? Why can't it play in this country? And actually, it's a complicated process getting it getting distribution in different countries you have to 
first of all, I wanted, there were people, there actually had three people from Australia, right, wanting to see the movie. And Australia has one of the most expensive fees you have to pay to get your film rated, and it can't be distributed in Australia without the rating. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the <laughs> pandemic happened, and I was just like, screw it. Like, I know that I own this property that I made, and if I put it on YouTube for free, that's going to limit my possibilities of ever making any more money or having real ownership over the film. But I was like, screw it. Like, I'm just going to put it out there for everyone to just watch for free and finally for the first time for it to be available worldwide. So I no longer make any money. I can't even make advertising dollars because YouTube is slow. They say that my old distributor owns the movie. They actually were just distributors. I have always 100% owned the movie. They never owned the copyright. But they're like, you don't own this movie, so you can't have advertisements or make advertising money. Um, And then I put in a claim, but of course... They don't like uh, care. Yeah. They're not. They're not doing yeah. anything about it. Um, yeah. So the process of the release of the movie and the reviews of the movie have generally been disappointing. But anytime someone gives positive feedback and actually wrote it, it, makes me really happy. And there are people who do and write me things and tell me that they quote it with their wife and that it was a good date movie. And that's. I I don't feel bad about how it came out. I feel that it was difficult to shoot. I wish that it had wider distribution and got more reviews, but it didn't. And that's okay. On to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. I guess the one thing that can come from being on YouTube is that you're opening up your audience and you never know who who's going to come across the film and connect with it. I feel because it is a strong film, I, I feel like somebody's going to see this and really like champion it. So <laughs> I hope that people um, like listen to these episodes and, and really seek it out and seek out your work in the future thank you so much funnily enough when it was on amazon prime it was on also on prime in the uk and sales in the uk were skyrocketing there were way more people watching in the uk than the us which i found really interesting because i know comedy can sometimes be regional and you might not be able to connect but i loved that there was something that you know australians and and people in the uk were responding to um that made me feel really good and your kind review makes me feel really good so thank you so much So let's get into some nitty-gritty questions about the film. Uh, We had our theories during the review, but how do you think this magical sex toy is actually used? (laughs) Like, what bits go where? (laughs) It was intended to be, that is a part of the joke, is like, where does it go? Uh, And when we created the toy, we went to an antique shop and got parts there. It was like the box it came in was a Civil War, like, musket box. And... (laughs) (laughs) um there was like parts like this like tube thing was actually like an antique thing from a gun like a musket and i don't know we just had all these parts and then there was also an antique wine stopper attached to it and the whole thing was to make it as ridiculous obviously something in your butt something in your butt (laughs) (laughs) um but i think the idea is that like it somehow kind of goes everywhere um (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, for- so you saying that it definitely has something to do with the butt means my my theory was completely incorrect. But um. <laughs> I think it goes everywhere. I bet your theory is part of it. It's like okay. an all encompassing, my world altering sex toy. <laughs> this might tie into uh, what you said earlier about working at a gay porn PR a PR for a gay porn company. Where did you procure? Gunter's cock shot that you used in the film. 
Oh, that's a funny story. Okay, that picture is uh, anonymous from a man who won't be named, but I dated that. <laughs> the, I dated the person attached to that picture <laughs> uh, briefly, and he uh, had a lot to work with. So I thought that he would make sense because in the story, there's a thing of like Gunther's, you know, dick is huge. Yeah, uh, is a lie in the movie, so I knew I needed a big one, <laughs> and so I asked this young man that I had dated briefly if I could use one of the pictures he had already sent me. Um, <laughs> and he and said, what was his reaction? <laughs> he was flattered and then he said um, some fake name to credit him with and I, ac- I have it in my email somewhere but I actually yeah. think that when it came time to do the credits I forgot to do that. So we just uh, didn't credit him at all um, but it was something like like a magical kind of silly name but um, <laughs> but I I think he might have signed a he signed a release and everything, but um he was he's my age. I'm roughly forty, so it was a person who's of age, uh for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I asked a friend. <laughs> uh, I bet he uh brings that up sometimes. Uh, <laughs> my <laughs> he is so impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a movie. Yeah. You know, I we are not really in touch anymore, but that's a funny point. Yeah, he might. <laughs> He should feel um, good about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get why he sends it around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, impressive. One thing we asked, we were wondering when we were watching the film, the demon child in the sex shop, mm. did you film all his stuff separately so that he wasn't hearing all the filthy things being said around him? Sort of, yeah. I mean, we definitely, when we filmed him, we like took all of the sex toys away like so that he couldn't see them. All the giant, he, yeah, okay. <laughs> he has a line that's like, it's for your butt, which is, yeah. I think, his dirtiest line. Um, which he definitely thought was funny. And I had a whole conversation with his mom because I don't want to like endanger children, like, and be gross (laughs) with children. That's important to me. (laughs) So I know that we took special care to not have that stuff around him, like that he didn't see any of that stuff. As for the dialogue, I mean, I think we kind of just took his, um, his lines. Like, I, th- I don't think he did. St- I think we only had him in the room for as much as he needed to be. Like, we wouldn't yeah. have. Yeah. So definitely he, he wasn't in the room for some of the dirtier stuff. And the thing was, when I wrote it, I just like imagined this demon child. When I wrote it, I didn't imagine how kind of weird it is to have a child next to subjects of sex. <laughs> but yeah. we definitely don't we don't sexualize the demon child um but i guess i just thought it's like the a demon child is also a trope in 80s movies and i think that's also where it came from so when your character's getting the mani petty and's reading a magazine and the magazine i think it was called clock magazine was that yes. a parody of time magazine is that was that the joke Yes, well, our um, production designer, Yoko, um, she designed, she came up with the calling it clock, but the headlines were written into the script. Um, yeah. And here's actually, if you want to get into nitty gritty, a crazy fun fact is that in the middle of my close up in that scene, uh, I was using my real phone as a prop and I got like an email about a beloved family member had died. So I like, oh, no. we, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was my grandmother's sister, my aunt Florence. Um, yeah had died of old age so it wasn't you know out of left field but beloved 
a beloved person. And uh, we had to stop for a second so that I could cry about that. And then we get back to filming. So, you know. But that's that's dedication. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you got to get through the day. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen. Like on the way to our first day filming at the uh, microphone at Gotham Sound, uh, yeah. we like our equipment truck that I rode with because I lived near where the um, truck was stored. Um, we hit a taxi uh, in like what in front of Grand Central Station on the way, <laughs> oh, and no. so I was like, "Oh my god, we can't have our shooting day until the equipment gets to set until I, the actress, gets to set, and I'm the director too. So we all have to get to set. So I was like, I got out of the car, I saw the man, I just said to him, like, listen, I have somewhere really important to be.' Can I give you cash right now? And then we can just call it a day, which is probably advantageous to him to not have to deal with the police and wait around and ruin the day. So I ran to an ATM. I got, I mean, we didn't total it, like knocked his mirror and his tire, Uh, but the body (laughs) of the car was fine. So I just ran to an ATM and took out $600 in cash and gave it to him and went about my day. Oh, wow. (laughs) We We got to set. We had our day. So like a lot of things went you know didn't go smoothly in the making of the movie that is for sure are there any other stories that have never been told about the production of this film i mean one thing that there were so many things uh there was we had a troublesome first ad who i think i took his name out of the credits because i mean we should have replaced him we should have fired him and replaced him but it was really hard in new york city in june when it's a busy shooting month to find a good new person who's now just going to be available for three weeks but he was like the ad is the person who's all about time and schedule and and they like kind of run the set you know they're like how many minutes to show time and they the director yells action and cut but they yell roll cameras that's what they part of what the ad does and rad was late to set every day and that's like insane (laughs) and i found out that he was rude i wish i knew sooner sooner but that he was rude and abusive to the pas which is like not only is this low budget so they're either not being paid well or some of them are volunteering but there's no no need to be abusive to the crew um and and not on my own film but anyway on the last day i mean he was just out of line but we were shooting the Al Bronco scene and that was our last day of filming um, where our characters in the street sort of like having this like drunk, crazy time. And I was in character where it's the, the this character become has an alter ego when they get too drunk, right? And so they're going down the street going, I'm Al Bronco and I'm crazy, whatever, being so silly and drunk. So during the middle of this scene, we had this idea because we're shooting in the streets of Brooklyn. And we, if we finished a half hour early, we'd be able to eat our crew lunch inside of this restaurant instead of on the sidewalk. So I was like, let's try and finish up and get to lunch a half hour early so we can do that. That would be nicer. But we didn't get the shot. We didn't finish it. It was complicated. So what was about to happen is we were going to wrap for lunch on time and then we would do a little street setup with tables. Um, now, the AD, when I was in the middle of acting in a challenging scene as El Bronco, he comes up to me and says... We're not, we're, we're, the lunch, we're going to have to eat it. And he was bothering me about this lunch. <laughs> and I, in character, yell at him. I was like, he was like, blah, 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 the lunch. And I was like, I'm acting and directing in a film and I'm El Bronco and I don't give a shit about this fucking lunch right now. I just want to get the shot and then we can break for lunch on time. Get out of my fucking face. And so that happened. I, I think I'm, lo- I'm, I'm sad because I feel like that wasn't the exact wording, wording, but that was essentially what was said. Um, and he threw a little 
hissy fit and he like walked up to the producers like i want my money now and she's like uh no you'll fill out a w9 and some paperwork (laughs) and you'll get paid just like everyone else when everyone else does and you're just he walked out before we had a whole extra scene to shoot but when he quit apparently the pas were so happy because he was such a jerk to them they all cheered and this adorable (laughs) moment happened so the the next thing we were about to shoot after lunch when i was like okay let me pick one of the pas and everyone elected um which Oh my god, I'm forgetting her name right now. Oh my goodness. She was she played the receptionist um at the nail salon. She was also one of the PAs and I'm blanking on her name right now. So I'm looking up in my own credits. Um but she jumped into PA the film and I'm about to do a stunt where I fight with my friend Tina in the street and we throw noodles on each other's heads. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, okay, because I'm in this and I'm about to do this like thing, I'm going to need you to call action. I'm not going to call action. So if you can call action on this, that would be great. And apparently the PAs were all being really sweet with each other. And they were like, you got this to our PA who stepped up, whose name I'm about to uh, look up because I feel really bad. Um, <laughs> we'll, use, but- we'll use editing magic. We'll put it in right here. <laughs> okay, great. Um, but she, they were like, you got this. You're the Beyonce of this set, which was really sweet. And everyone was just really having a lot of fun once that bad guy's energy had gone. Um, so they were like, okay, okay. And so I'm like raring to go to go confront Tina and she's going to throw me on the ground and throw noodles on my head. And we're like, okay, roll cameras. And she just goes, um, action like really gentle (laughs) and i was like oh okay okay cut no no okay i was like okay the next take you're gonna say action okay but you're gonna yell it at me okay and she was like okay and then the next take she was like all right action and it was just the sweetest moment we had so much fun together um so on that very last day it was like uh, every day was eventful and it that the last day of production was no exception so what do you think your biggest learning experience was on that set oh my god i learned lessons every minute of that day i think one of the biggest lessons though as a filmmaker um is i struggled with the opening of the movie i struggled with it um in the edit and i struggled with it in the script and i also now think like because we shot a ton of b-roll later to let the scenes cut together like b-roll of the city and of greenpoint and brooklyn and everything um the importance of establishers in a scene and in pacing and in the mood and that forever influences how i will write a script it was so much harder it was not the hardest thing as far as hardships that i've experienced in my life or my family that i've experienced but it was the like hardest just work like it was the hardest thing to do it was yeah. very <laughs> very hard to shoot and man i learned I, if someone's about to shoot their next feature film i could just give them a million pointers and tips <laughs> and things that i learned from doing uh and mistakes that i made but i learned i have learned so much since we shot that that i would have done differently if i could do the movie over again um but i wouldn't i, I wouldn't have known unless i did it so yeah yeah you, know. <laughs> you just had to get it done i did exactly <laughs> so you mentioned earlier you have um another feature that you've been asked to direct can you tell us anything about that yeah um so i'm about to direct a thriller it's a romantic thriller it is from imoto productions which is to my joy run by two women of color based out of vancouver and la and we're about to shoot well we were going to shoot in april in oklahoma and now it looks like we're re-gearing to shoot in september in oklahoma and this is a production company that makes a lot of thrillers and 
a lot of the movies get on Netflix and Lifetime. Uh, so it's sort of geared towards that audience, but I really love the script. I find it to be, I think the characters are really well written and it's funny at times and the characters are colorful. Um, and it deals with, it is a murder mystery, but it's set in a world that is very contemporary to me. And I don't know if I'm supposed to say more about what actually happens, but yeah. the, the thing that our main characters do is very current and relatable. Um, and something that I thought they actually showed me two different scripts. One involved, well, involved something. I, I, I don't know if I was supposed to say what that was, but they showed me, they showed me two different scripts and I said, I really responded to this one. So I was very, uh, glad and thankful when they hired me. Oh, sounds, sounds intriguing. I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You've mentioned uh, the internet apocalypse script, and you've also mentioned in the past um, a pilot idea you had for the uh, woman that plays your best friend in the film uh, as her experience as an Asian American actress and trying to get a start. Is uh, either of those still on the pipeline? I have a, a four features that are unproduced and three TV pilot ideas that are unproduced. And uh, not, none of these things have been picked up, but I do talk and I do try and I do try to get actors attached. The, um, the TV pilot is called, um, well, so the actress's name is Ying Ying Lee. And we just decided after doing Inside You that we have a unique sensibility that we connect on and love to write together. So we're like, let's write about something. And we had three different ideas for what shows we should write. We even once had an idea about uh, infiltrating the White House uh, <laughs> and getting Melania to be a mole for the resistance. <laughs> um, <laughs> we almost wrote about my experience um, working in gay porn and tried to make a TV show around that. And then we realized the most compelling and interesting idea between all of us were Ying's real experiences as an Asian actress. Um, so even though I am not Asian uh, and I don't necessarily have authority to speak on that, it's just that Ying and I have a similar sense of humor and see eye to eye and we have a very similar worldview and we loved writing together. So I really love that script. I'd love it to get made. Um, but no, there's no avenue for it getting made right now. The sci-fi comedy with the internet apocalypse, man, it. I wish that – I wrote that in 2012 and it is so like – there's a lot of things in our world that have happened that – it would really work. And I wish I got to make it eight years ago, but it's still the movie that I wrote. I have not seen it get made yet. I'd love it to get made. Um, but no, none of those products are getting made. I just did start talk talking to someone who's interested in representing me and was interested in one of my um, TV pilot ideas. Uh, and probably I'm not supposed to speak about it, but <laughs> nothing, none of my original written stuff is getting produced right now. I have a live show in LA that was going, um, yeah. called Dream Roll that was about, um, it's, it's actors performing mono, original monologues that I write and direct of parts they've always dreamed of playing, but never have gotten cast in or maybe would be unlikely to get cast in. And we were about to put on our second show days before the shutdown. So yeah. I also think that show would work really well in a TV format with known actors and maybe also unknown actors. But um, but yeah, those are things I've got going on. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get to see them in the uh, future because they all sound really interesting to me. So yeah, yeah, I Thank would watch you. all of those. <laughs> Thank um, you. Is there anywhere else you'd like our listeners to seek you out on the internet, or um, is there a place that they can follow your career or follow you on social media? Yes, my website's heatherfink.com. On Twitter, I'm hashtag or not hash. I'm slash heatherfink, and then my 
Instagram is Leatherfink uh, because I didn't know that Instagram would be so important and I had a leather nickname. I should have gone for the Heatherfink. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm Leatherfink on Instagram and Heather. Did you make that on up on TikTok? TikTok. Oh my God, I've never used TikTok. Oh, oh did I make up it. for it? Oh my gosh. I you gotta get Heather Maybe I have an account there. But I have Heatherfink.com. I got that in 99, man. Um, so, but yeah, so that's where I'm at doing things. People can follow along there. There's also, if they want to see more about Inside You, there's the hashtag Inside You Movie, and you can see it on Twitter or Instagram with InsideYouMovie.com or Inside You Movie. And then for anyone who's listening, sometimes people think my last name when they just hear it is Sink, like a kitchen sink. It's not. It's F as in fuzzy or fun. So Heather Fink, and that's how you spell it. Well, thank you for so much for coming on our show today. We really yeah, appreciate it. I really urge all our listeners to go on YouTube as soon as you can and watch Inside You if you haven't already. You won't be disappointed. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> next time you make a swap film, we'll definitely yeah. review it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I would love if someone wants, I mean, I would love to remake this with more money and like script revisions and all this kind of stuff. That would be great. So if someone wants to give me money for that, I'll take it. (laughs) Well, if anyone out there is listening. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much, Heather. And um, until next time, I was Paul Mitzi. And I was Brendan Levi. And you you can say it as well, Heather. You can say, and and I was Heather Fink. (laughs) And I was Heather Fink. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Heather. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. The Swapcast podcast is recorded in Adelaide, Australia. It's hosted by Paul Mitzi and edited by Brendan Levi and Paul Mitzi. Our theme song was written and performed by John Marco of Too Creative, featuring Lucy Thomas, and recorded at Browntown Studios. Our music bumpers were created by Reggie Parker. Contact him on parkerregmusic at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.